Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. Oh God, we give everyone and everything to you. Oh Jesus, we give everyone and everything to you. May your spirit now stand between me and your people so the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together would be shaped, formed, molded into the good news of the gospel of Christ. In whose name we gather, in whose name we pray, and in whose name we will depart and seek to serve you faithfully. And all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. We um, have been in this series of Get Your Life Back, looking at how technology that surrounds us can consume us, how either we determine the pace of life and use technology and the internet and all those things around the net to nurture us, or we let it determine the pace of our life and find ourselves in this frenzied and hypervigilant state. We tend to react to every ding. We have every kind of notification. But as you can see, we've said from the beginning, it's not the technology is evil. It's how do we become the ones that choose how to engage what we have and not let it determine our priorities, our choices, and the pace of our life together. Just an example of that is being able to use the podcast and being able to identify what is your digital diet? What is your digital diet? Where do you bring in? What do, you, do you wake up in the morning and go right to Facebook or right to your favorite news feed and get on sort of that treadmill of getting just sort of upset and ramped up? Does your blood pressure go up and you wake up before you ever get the coffee because of what you read and what you're angry about or what you're concerned about? And there's a whole other layer of which uh, we're going to reference in later in the sermon. I'm going to quote... Um, a Pulitzer Prize, a, a man who was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize named Nicholas Carr, who's done some work with some others about um, what is it that the internet's doing to our brains. We're going to unpack that for a minute. It's important to think about our diet. We've also looked at how do we find those rhythms? How do we intentionally choose? How do we find the margins, a wide space? We've talked about what's called a, a benevolent detachment, a, a choice of disengaging at times and specifically about how we choose and the choices that we make to carve out time to listen to God. Today we're sort of landing this series together, understanding what is it that we believe, because what we believe will be the bedrock for the choices that we make. I mean, I want to ask you this real seriously. Are we simply at times functional atheists in life? We say there's a God, we say we believe that there's a God, but we function as if everything depends on us. And that God really isn't 
uh, adequate to do the things that we need God to do or we expect God to do. It's a challenge. I know it's a challenge. Just because I put on a robe on Sunday mornings does not mean I'm free from the worries, the cares, or the anxiety. And so what I do is I practice the pause, and I learn to say, God, I give all of these things that are concerning me. I give them over to you. I cast all my burdens down at your feet. How are you doing with that, church? Are you, are you determining the pace of your life in a better way? Are your digital diets creating more distractions for you or deepening your walk with Christ? And that's something we talked about last week, but how that union with God, that intimacy with God is something that's so important. Um, Listen to the way that A.W. Tozier says it in his book, The Deeper Life. The deeper life, meaning the deeper life of intimacy with God that Christians have, is deeper only because the average Christian life is tragically and unnecessarily shallow. So there's a reason that I've got stickers all over the altar today. Because while these little sayings are true, I'm going to say something and back it up biblically when I wrap this up. These are accurate but they're not adequate to the whole story of God. They're accurate, but not adequate. This one, when you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. That's a scripture, absolutely true. Jesus saves, absolutely true. Made to worship, yeah. I am worthy. All these sayings are true, but they're not adequate to represent the whole story. We see this in the passage today from John. John's gospel is unique. I uh, don't know if you're aware or not, but there's no birth narrative in the gospel of John. There's no Mary entering into Bethlehem. Uh, John begins as almost a retelling out of Genesis. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. And there is no Last Supper. There is no communion in the Gospel of John, which is why it's so ironic that we connect together Jesus saying, as he did here in chapter 6, I am the bread of life. And it is also interesting to note that Jesus' act in the Gospel of John on that Thursday was the washing of the disciples' feet. These are just fascinating things to think about as each of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give a distinctive perspective into what and who Christ is. The sixth chapter of John, and remember we always say, what's the context of the text? So here's the context of the text. John chapter 6 opens up with Jesus feeding the 5,000. So in the immediate memory of many people would have been this feeding. So this question that is brought from the crowd when they ask him and they ask what must we do to believe, these words, um, they're not in a vacuum. They've seen what Jesus has done. He's been on the Sea of Galilee with the disciples. Uh, He's walked on the water. He arrives at the other side. The people here, he's there, and they come to him. And their claim is, well, Uh, What must we do to do the work that God requires? He said, believe in the one who sent. And the first thing it says, how will we know that we can believe? These folks are just like we are. That the call of God is to believe in the one that God has sent. And, And we tend to first come out with, 
well, how can I know that I believe? How can I really know that that's what God wants? It's a perpetual question that's before every one of us, no matter how many theological degrees you have, how much scripture you know, every one of us still struggles to discern how can we be certain this is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and not indigestion from the pasta. Because at times when God calls us to do things, it is so outside the norm, we will engage and we retreat to what we do know. The gift of the pause, the gift of Scripture, the gift of moving into this, is that it pulls us out of the familiar patterns and gives us fresh eyes and fresh ears and sometimes fresh places to walk. And it is typical in the Gospel of John all throughout people don't quite understand what Jesus is talking about. It's, it's Nicodemus in John chapter 3 when, when Jesus says, look, you're teaching the law, Nicodemus, and don't you know that you must be born again? And Nicodemus says, how can I enter my mother's womb and be born again? He doesn't get it, right? The woman at the well. I'll give you water. You'll never thirst again. Oh, oh, where's the bucket? Uh, give me this water, right? No, no, I'm not talking about this kind of water. I'm talking about a water that that swells from the inside, a river of life, if you would. And right in keeping with this is this group of people. Now, give us the bread. Give us the bread so that we'll, we'll never be hungry again. And Jesus declares what? I am the bread of life. Friend, the question is this. What are you feasting on? And what you feast on in your digital diet will determine what you believe and what you believe will determine what you do. With this caveat, we aren't what we say we believe, we are what we do. We can say that we believe these things, but we can become, as I said earlier, functional atheist. When we proclaim that we believe in the creed, we believe in the community of faith, we believe in all of the things that we say and sing and proclaim on Sunday morning, but does our daily walk with Christ reflect that when we leave this place? Remember, church is not the place that you come to practice your faith. Church is the gathered community of faith encountering a living God. It's a pep rally for us to both be comforted, challenged, and confronted by God's amazing grace to be the body of Christ when we move out into the world. So what do you believe? One of the things that really is amazing is that the way in which we have become so dependent upon uh, the trivializing and the shallowness of the faith is that we don't really dig into the deep of it. And here's the biblical image I want to give with you this. Uh, it's out of Acts chapter 18. That scripture is going to go up on the screen. Um, and I'm just going to read it and then unpack it. Uh, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Good job, right? Okay, Apollos, he's instructed the way of the Lord. He spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, 
And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. This is the biblical basis to understand you can have accurate, shallow information, but is it adequate to the way of God? God invites us into that deep water kind of faith. And though he met the disciples on the shore of Galilee as they were casting their nets, it started with a put your nets out in the deep. And then he called them out of ankle deep water to be immersed in the work of God in the world. Friends, are we, are we just sort of waiting in the kingdom's work or are we willing to move all the way in? Are we still dabbling with sort of digital moments and, oh, we text this or we have a meme? We're good. Got a meme? I'm good for Jesus for the day. Or does that digital aspect of what you do draw you deeper to be transformed? To become something different than you are. To know that God, yes, accurately loves you where you are, will meet you where you are. Just as he found the disciples, the disciples weren't looking for Jesus. Jesus found the disciples, whether it be in the original call along the Sea of Galilee, or as we read later in the post-resurrection, he goes back to Galilee, he finds them again. Christ will find you. He is looking for you. The choice that we have is to choose how will that response look. So one of the things I want to lift up from this, um, this work that I really think is is really challenging and scary but good, is to think about how does our interaction with the digital world in which we live impact us. So Nicholas Carr um, wrote a book called The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. And in it he recounts numerous conversations with very bright people, PhDs in their field, And even though these people are intellectual giants, they live and move in a world of books, research, literature, Carr was startled to corroborate so many reports that they couldn't read books anymore, they couldn't read articles, they didn't even have patience for the longer blog posts. So these people who have lived in the written word have been somehow impacted that they have a a difficulty doing that. He documents how the internet, and I'm going to call it the net, hold on to that thought, right? The net is reshaping not only our ability to take information, it's altering the structure of our brains. We're going to dive deep and nerd out. Hang with me. We don't like being asked to focus on anything for very long anymore. We're adapted to the quick, short stimulus of the net and our mobile devices. Almost everything is on remote control. You can leave church Order your Whataburger on the app, pull in, they'll walk it out to you, and you keep going. There's no patience. There's no waiting. You've got a remote control at home. You can fast forward through your commercials. Do you see this constant thing, right? We're, we're, we're being shaped, and we don't even know it. It's what, what uh, elders calls the zip, zip, zip effect. And it's just sort of taking this toll on, on your attention, your ability to be present. It's, it's, it's not just... That, but here's what's scary. You can put that slide up now so folks can follow along with this quote. This is from Carr. It's not only deep thinking that requires a calm, attentive mind, it's also empathy and compassion. Psychologists have long studied how people experience fear and react to threats, 
but it's only recently that they've begun researching the sources of our nobler instincts. What they're finding is that as Antonio Damasio, the director of USC's Brain and Creativity Institute explains, the higher emotions emerge from neural processes that are inherently slow. Friends, we, we really weren't meant to process at the level of technology around us. It should be a gift to us to serve the world better, but it cannot replace our humanity. The writer of a cover story in the New York Magazine says that as we become used to the 21st century task of flitting, and flitting's an idea that we simply just simply lose our capacity to concentrate on complex tasks, Yeah, we may gain skills to have like 34 conversations across six different platforms. But what happens as car rides is we get entrenched. And what happens is we allow that pace to be entrenched in our own souls. There's a big uproar in my neighborhood because um, Comcast is coming in and there's these things called easements, right? And you work so hard just to try and keep your grass alive, and then someone shows up and digs up your yard. Good luck now keeping that alive, right? And then the city of Houston says, oh, just water twice a week. Okay, we'll try that. But every place that the trencher has been, and what they'll do is called missile trenching at times. You see those machines that have the long kind of boring things, and they're at a 45-degree angle, and what they do is they missile trench. But friends... Anytime you suck the soil out and you try to do something, you leave a cavity in there. And it's just a matter of time when things of the natural world start to settle and and there's a trench. And you can see where something's been sucked out of the inside. The same thing is true for our souls. When we allow the world to pull that out of us, there's a cavity there, there's a gap there. Friends, there's... There's an effect of the net, but I want to give you this good word of the gospel today. Jesus knows something about the net. Do you remember when he first walked along the Sea of Galilee and he called out to the disciples? And what were they tending? I know it's a metaphorical play. They were tending their what? Their nets. And when Jesus called them, do you remember the response of the gospels? When when they heard the call, they laid down their nets. And they followed him. Friends, I just want to encourage you with this word. Do you need to really look at places where you need to lay down the net and follow Christ? Are there places where you have confused a digital devotional that you race through at a stoplight to your next appointment in the morning or scurry too quickly with a deep union and desire to pour into the Scriptures, to read the Scriptures? Is your digital diet feeding your soul, deepening your walk with Christ? Or is it causing you to live a functionally atheistic life that's shallow, that appears to be a walk with Christ because you got it on the bumper sticker of your phone or maybe a sticker here on your book? So don't miss the irony of this whole series. The irony of this whole series is, when we set out, let me get this right. 
You're going to preach a whole series on how people need to disconnect, you know, put down their digital devices, and the way we're going to teach them to do that is add one more app to their phone. Yep, that's exactly what we're going to do. Because you won't forget that. And yes, there's a sticker here today that it might remind you in a tangible way of part of the message of the gospel which is accurate but not adequate. The adequacy is found in the whole story. You feel like you've got some place in your soul where there's been some burrowing and trenching and another service provider has tore up the yard of your spirit and a little bit of time and things are settling and you've got the trench going. Here's the good news. Bring your life to Christ. Friends, sometimes it's it's not just the person who's never taken that step to Christ. It's a lot of us who've been sitting in the pews for a year who know the stories of the faith quite well. And we just need to refresh our memory that there is a balm in Gilead that heals the sin-sick soul. There's a balm in Gilead that makes the wounded whole. Sometimes I feel discouraged and feel my life's in vain. But then, you remember the hymn? Come on. But then the hand of Jesus touches me and what? Do you know the hymn? I. I'm not the same. Have you let the grace-filled touch of God fill in the trenches and low places of your soul? No email is going to do it. No Instagram is going to do it. No snap, whatever that thing is going to do it, or tic-tac or whatever they are. Social media is simply a median that carries a message. The question I have for you is this. What is the diet of your soul? What do you believe? You believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the bread of life. Do the actions of your life, your trust, your hope, and your decisions really reflect that? What do you believe? And maybe you're in that place where you're still really trying to get some clarity on that. Take heart, friends. You're not going to be put in the corner or be in the back of the class. God doesn't grade on the curve. He grades on the cross. I say that because I remember whenever I showed a geometry class in high school, my junior year, everybody was happy when I showed up because our teacher graded on the curve. And if Palmer was there, they knew they weren't going to be in last place. I took that and I didn't even have to work for it. God, God sees you through the cross. And there was one who struggled, and he said this, Lord, Lord, I believe, but would you help my unbelief? Belief is not a formula. It's a dance with God. What do you believe? What do you believe? Let's pray together. God, would you forgive us for the ways that we have been 
um, moving through the shallows of the faith and avoiding the more intimate conversations because the reality is we know that if we had an intimate conversation with you in Scripture or in community together, there would probably be something that needs to change in our habits or our behaviors. So bring us to a place of awareness that no matter what we think we're going to have to change or give up or do differently, it will in no way compare to the joy and presence as we open more of our life up to you, seeking a deeper walk with you in Christ. God, give us the courage we need to look into that mirror and to look at our habits, to ask, what is the spiritual and digital diet of our souls? Give us a willingness to accept the places that we know you want to change, but we're reluctant to let you take lordship of. So God, forgive us, but also remind us. Remind us that all of your grace is amazing, and that no matter where we have been or how many times we started over, you're a God of perpetual second chances. You're a God of love, and you always find us. God, we proclaimed in worship, liturgy, and song this day what we believe. May our actions, our choices, and decisions reflect that this day. For this we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen.